Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Amateur Gourmet Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, and I apologize, I've been absent for a couple weeks. Um, I've been traveling around, I was in New York again, I'm getting ready to go to Florida for Thanksgiving, so it's just been a bit hectic, but I didn't want to leave you in the lurch before Thanksgiving, and so today I invited on Charlotte Druckman, who's an incredible food writer. She's written many books, she writes for the Wall Street Journal, she wrote um, a book called Women on Food, which was hugely celebrated, and she has a new cookbook called Kitchen Remix, Um, but today I invited her on because she wrote an article for New York Magazine where she ate some of the best Thanksgiving pies in New York. She basically asked all these chefs to come up with Thanksgiving, or I guess she didn't ask them to. They already had their Thanksgiving pies, but she got to try all these different ones from places like Lady Wong and Redgate Bakery and Lisset. So I invited her on to talk about Thanksgiving desserts. And before we get to our conversation, I just want to wish you all a very happy and healthy Thanksgiving. I'm very thankful to have you listening to my podcast. All right, well, without further ado, here is my conversation with Charlotte Druckman. All right, well, I am here with Charlotte Druckman, my old food writing friend. Hi, Charlotte. Hello. And we are here to talk about Thanksgiving desserts. So I'm going to air this. I think on the Monday before Thanksgiving, which is this upcoming Monday. So I think a lot of people will have already figured out what they're going to make for dessert. But just on the off chance that they haven't yet, this is going to be a very helpful discussion. And now you just wrote an article for New York Magazine's Grub Street, or was it in the magazine? Or It was both. It was both. Yeah. Okay. Where you taste tested a bunch of Thanksgiving pies, right? In New York. And you, that, they, they, by the way, they all looked amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Yeah. So one of the things that I noticed year after year as someone, you know, this, I really love baked goods. I am very, an avid, I would say an avid follower of bakeries in New York and, and just pastry talent. So I, this is something I pay attention to and not even necessarily for professional reasons. I mean, Mm -hmm. definitely. I mean, I ran into you <laughs> in New York. I mean, I know I met you for tea, but I also ran into you before the tea and you were carrying a Tupperware that you, it was like something you made and it was so delicious. Remind me what it yeah. was. Yeah. Oh, what did I make you? I'll figure it out before the end of this. It but was it was like brown butter, I think was in it. And it was like salty. There was something like really good. But like, It was salty re- and sweet. And yes. yeah, I feel like it probably had, I've been doing a lot with um candy bars lately, like baking yes. candy bars into things. Oh, did you get the thing where it was like the blondie and then like the cream cheese blondie on top? No, no, it wasn't that. Cause that was, all, <laughs> I'll figure it out. No, but, you, yeah. you were, you were with um, the woman who just wrote an article about, about yes, cake. Cleo, who also happens to have great Thanksgiving pie. So, okay. Let me, let me back this up to answer your question. Sorry, my fault. <laughs> I, because of my predilection and a, for an obsession with all of this type of stuff, I would get angry, not angry is a strong word, but I'd just be a bit miffed, let's say every year, because yeah. there would always be local publications would always do this very long list of places where you could get pies for Thanksgiving. And they were clearly not vetted. It was just like if a publicist had sent in a press release or there'd been some announcement that whoever was culling the list had seen, you know, had gone up, they would, they would put it on this list. And it was also usually people we already know have pies. Like, you know, we we right. know Little Pie Company has pies. They're great. People should not forget the Little Pie Company 
We know bubbies. Like how many times does bubbies have to tell us they have pie? And is that because like the people who are in power and like these positions and these publications are just like friends with the publicists who are sent? I mean, is that how that works? I think it's a little bit, I mean, this is still cynical. I was about to say less cynical than that, but I think it's kind of laziness. I think it's just like you sit down and you get all of this incoming email and you just kind of go through it and figure out, okay, these people have pie, these people have pie, these people have pie. And and it's considered a service. And I don't want to say that that's not helpful, but to (laughs) me, it would be much more helpful if someone had actually tasted the pies and told me. That seems kind of obvious, but that's really funny. It seems obvious (laughs) to me, but- This has not been the way it's done. And I kind of think I might know why now having gone through it. Yes. How many did you taste? So I, let me just finish the, finish the trajectory of this so that people have a sense of like where it's coming from. It was also that a number of smaller independent bakeries had opened during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And they also, many of them happened to be doing things that were really different, that were not necessarily traditional in their regular baking and in their Thanksgiving pie baking. And I thought it would be really nice to focus on that because we know that those other lists are going to be available. We know that people will know that four and 20 blackbirds has pies and they're great, but Mm -hmm. we don't need to do that. So I suggested to my editor that I didn't even suggest, I just asked, why can't this be real? Like, why couldn't this be a thing where people tasted pies? The thing is, I did it kind of last minute, relatively, because if you're a publication, you want to get readers that information while there's still time to order the pies. Right. But if you need to taste all the pies, And then you need to get them photographed and everything. The window that you have to like get all these pies to there. So I wasn't necessarily expecting a green light or I wasn't expecting a green light this year. It was more like, and it was like, oh my God, this is great. Do you think we can pull it off? What's the window? So I started reaching out to to some of the bakeries I already had had in mind to see if they were doing Thanksgiving pies, to see not only when their cutoff would be for ordering, Mm -hmm. but also if they would be able to get me a tester pie before they even started opening orders, which was like, I, and I had gotten my COVID shot and was like, I had a really bad reaction to my booster. Okay. So in the midst of being very nauseous and like basically flat out on my bed, what I was doing was on my phone, DMing all these bakeries being like, (laughs) do you have a pie? What's your pie? Could you get me your pie? Could So that was, that was what happened. And we ended up with 40 pies in one afternoon. Wow. Um, That is a lot of pies. The article only has 12, right? (laughs) Yeah, it has 11 in the end. And we were going to, so another interesting sort of like for people who wonder how these stories happen and how they get made, the the hope was that the way that it works at New York Magazine, and I think a lot of magazines too, in terms of deciding what's digital and what's in print, is that digital will often present stories that they think could be good for print at those meetings. And then if if they get approved, it kind of changes your production because the way something is going to be produced for print is still much more kind of elaborate and expensive and on also a tighter deadline because that issue has to close on a Friday so that it can come out the next week. 
Got it. So once they knew that they wanted it for print, it meant a few things. It meant that you're only going to have so much room on the printed page for your pies. Mm -hmm. It also meant, and I have experience doing this, so I knew I had a good sense, but you kind of have to think a little bit like a market editor and you have to think, how are all of these pies going to look on the page? So it's not just that we're picking pies we really like, but you have to make sure you have visually arresting exciting pies which and that by the way do. like i feel like that's happening now because you see like the new york times just came out with its pie thing and they're yes. pushing it on twitter and it's i'm like, gonna oh. say the new york magazine one was better and i yes. was not responsible for the production on that so like that's their art team and their photo team like if they they killed it i think um, so too and there's a pie not to der derail you but there is no, a pie wait. in the um new york times one that kind of baffles me and i love G genevieve co like i think she's amazing but this one is like an apple pie with slices of Granny Smith apple, raw apple on top. I didn't and I'm like, like that. It I was wasn't like, my vibe. How could you do that? It would all turn yeah. brown. Like that, you can't leave that out. And it, that sit. pie was not my vibe. But yeah, yeah, you do. You do have to think about the aesthetics on some level, and it. It you know you don't want to compromise and pick a lesser pie or not pick a great pie because of it. But right. it also means that if you have too many apple pies. I mean, you don't want too many apple pies anyway. You want a range, but especially right. when you're thinking of it as an image, mm -hmm. you, you're going to need visual diversity and you also need pies that are going to make some kind of impression visually. So you had um, 40 pies to taste that you, was it, a, and there was a group of you, right? It was, there was, there was me and three of my friends and all of them are friends who are food people. Like I wasn't going to just pick randoms. I had to really trust them. So, um, I did pick people who I really, really trust on pie. I picked um, Moon Lin Tsai and Yin Chang, who are the founders of Heart of Dinner, which is an amazing organization that gets meals to the elderly populations of Chinatowns all across New York mm -hmm. City. And we're friends. I wrote about Moon Lin and then we became friends and I follow her on Instagram and I figured out that they are just as obsessed with bakeries as I am. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they'll go to one that I haven't been to and they'll go really early and I'll be like, what was that? Was that really good? So I, I knew, and we tend to like similar things. So I was like, okay, they're good. And then my friend, Allie Rosen, who does potluck with Allie, does a number, she's done a number of cookbooks. Um, she is the person who she's my walking buddy. We live three blocks away. We okay. walk, we used, we used to walk both of our dogs. We now walk my dog. And we always, we always need some kind of incentive. And that incentive is usually a baked good. I knew that these were people who I could count on. And they also, which I think is important for something like this, they are advocates. They're people who want to support businesses. You know, this was not, this is a story where you're just picking good ones. We're not here to tell you that things are bad. You know, although so I will say people... in your first paragraph, you do sort of like give a little shout out to the like three places and you're like, you, those were very good, but yeah, you're not, you're not in the top 12. We, well, I that was, it. that was interesting. So again, with the whole print digital thing, I was under the impression that for digital, we would have more room. It could be extended. So we could uh... kind of give out like, 
I don't want to call them honorary awards. When I did that, my editor was like, honorary really just sounds like you're being kind to them. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. But just alternatives that we really liked, but maybe they were like a little bit more classic or you know what I mean? Like they were just not the sort of like. Right. No, I get it. I just thought it was cute because it was like, oh, look, this one didn't really make it. But I was going to say, as we go forward in this conversation about the pies that you tasted in New York for New York Magazine, I'm wondering if we could also expand it um, within this conversation to like give people ideas who are not in New York. Yes. Yes. Like like they can do at home. So like, okay, what was flavors? Yeah. Like what was the first pie that you tasted that blew your minds? It's funny because I think the first pie we tasted, so we mentioned this, this one is I mentioned in, it's in that introductory paragraph. And I, I had a little, I want to say fight negotiation with my editor about it because so Corner Bar, which is the new restaurant that Ignacio, you know, Matos opened. Yeah. yeah um, and Nine Orchard Hotel. First of all, I, know, I would not have expected them to have pies in the first place, but it turns out they had pies and they did a really good, um, really just beautiful pumpkin pie. And what I liked about it was that it was not fancy. It was just really clean flavor of pumpkin. You like you really want to taste the pumpkin mm-hmm. well spiced. And it had these, this is, I think is a sweet thing to do for decorating. It had little sort of like piped whipped cream flour, like bursts around the perimeter. And on each of them, it had a pecan. So it was like a little Uh, nod to the pecan pie. And it was just a perfect, we tasted a lot of pumpkin pies. And that was one where no one could stop eating, but we knew we were supposed to stop eating because it was early on and we had so many left. And it's interesting because he's known for like putting surprises in his food. And, and it's you, so, it's there's so that endive salad that he does at Estella where it's like a pile of endive and it looks really boring, but underneath it is like a granola of like walnuts and cheese. And so you would think in his pumpkin pie that he would have like a secret layer of like Just chocolate so, or something. No. So classic. And, and same with the apple pie was really good too. And, and, you know, it was that thing, well, well, we're not here to do classic. So really we can't put it on there but like it was just a perfect pumpkin pie and then I guess the next one that really I it's funny because it's hard to necessarily remember the order of them but the funny thing is that a lot of the really mind-blowing ones were at the end where we really thought we couldn't take anymore (laughs) right and I, I don't know how that happened. Maybe I'd saved them because I was the most excited for them. And I tend to be a save for last type of person. Me too, totally. Um, but we had Lady Wong, Bai Cleo, and Lee Bry were all in the last tasting group. And I would say all three of those blew my mind. I mean, Lee Bry and, and Bai Cleo actually had multiple desserts. Um, okay. by Cleo had two pies and then two cakes and Libri had three pies. Lady Wong just had the one, but so the, the thing the, the, with- these are the pies. So just so I understand, like you asked them to submit pies and then they were like, these were pies that they were already planning to sell or they were like, yeah, these creating- were pies, okay. but the, but to, just to let you know how much work they had to do. So for some of them, it was like down to the wire where they were still testing these pies. Like they were just finishing them. So they hadn't, they hadn't announced them yet. They hadn't necessarily figured out production perfectly. So we had to know that they might, you know, they might still be tweaked or perfected. 
But anyway, we we had a legitimately hard time choosing for Libri and by Clio. I could have chosen any of those for the for the list, and any of them would have been great for the what list. What were the so flavors? That, so the one, though it's funny, the one that we chose for or that I chose in the end for for by Clio was um an apple cranberry crumb pie, which sounds a bit classic, except that she put sumac in there. And in addition to sumac, she used a little bit of rosemary. And what I love about what she does is that she's really bold with spices. Like it's not subtle and yet mm. it's so balanced. So you can taste everything in there. You can taste the apple, you can taste the cranberry, you taste the sumac, just it gives it this sort of like I don't know this like, like glistening. Yes, yeah, like exactly like glistening. Like I was about to say, it's almost like drinking ginger ale, but like in a yeah. really good way, you know? Uh -huh. Um, You could taste all of it. And then she also, this is like, like maybe a nerdy thing, but I like... I like a real solid, generous crumb. I don't like those like namby-pamby crumbs where they're mm -hmm. small and then they like kind of disintegrate. She just <laughs> had really, really good crumbs. So it's funny. So I chose that one because it was a good balance for the group that we had. But I'm going to admit this right now. I ordered myself one of her pies and I ordered her pumpkin chai pie for myself. Oh, that's a good idea. Pumpkin chai. It, I like it's that. pumpkin chai and she goes heavy on the chai and I love it. She almost calls, she calls it like a dirty chai pumpkin pie. Ooh, just, you know, it, that's a good idea to just sort of, so, I mean, if you were going to try to recreate that at home, would you just like really just go heavy on the traditional spices that go in chai, which I think are close as it, um, nutmeg cloves. I think there's chai? black pepper. There's cardamom, cardamom, cardamom right. definitely cardamom. Um, I'm going to forget all of them, but that, yeah. those are like, those are the, the main ones. Definitely cardamom, definitely black pepper, definitely nutmeg, cinnamon. Um, I think clove and, but it's so, it was so beautiful and it was so not shy. As I say, it was not shy with the chai. It was so good. Much it was not, if you looked at it, it was much plainer looking, which yeah. is again, why we had so many pumpkin type, pumpkin adjacent pies that I knew for the the New York Magazine page that, that the apple crayon was, you know, the one to pick, but they were objectively equally good. You know, now, if you were going to make a pie, a pumpkin pie at home, do you, are you comfortable using the canned pumpkin or do you yeah. feel like these places are roasting their own pumpkin? I'm into the canned pumpkin. I Me kind too. of feel like also this is like the one time of year for the can. You know, like one of the things about Thanksgiving, I will sometimes just make myself a pie for Thanksgiving, like my own pie, like just for me. This is not a joke. <laughs> I, I did it you. last year. I will either buy one for myself, like the chai one, like I'm not sharing, I'm having it. I'm going, I'm going out to dinner for Thanksgiving this year, but I'm not like sharing, <laughs> sharing my pie. Um, I would definitely, I have used, I use that cam and then I will use it. I'll get extra ones and I'll make blondies with the pumpkin also in there, like uh. pumpkin and tahini and a blondie, Ooh. such a good combination. Um, okay. So for people who are listening, who want to be inspired by that specific pie, just go heavy on your spices. It sounds like like heavy, yeah, go heavy. And you're, and what you'd be doing is you're steeping them in your custard. You know, you're making right. that custard that you then mix in with your puree. So you would just steep the custard, you know, you would warm up your, your dairy and you yes. would let your, your 
spices sit in there and you really want them to sit for a decent amount of time, probably cover, cover that pot, let uh -huh. them really sit in there. You could just use a strainer and then take them right out. Um, you can use them again for tea if you want. They're probably still good. And yeah, that is, that is what I would do. And it's yeah. a simple thing, but I think the reason she did it so well was that she really went for it. Right. You know, Which I think people at Thanksgiving, it's funny because I mean, I was thinking about this the few times that I cooked Thanksgiving for my family, which was so much work and not worth it. We end up now we go to like a buffet in Boca Raton. Um, but, <laughs> uh, and Craig actually loves the buffet. He's like, ooh, we get to go to the buffet. It's great. But like, you know, you, if you're a food person and you're cooking for people who aren't food people, sometimes like you could like go too far in a gourmet yeah. direction, which is what I did. And it's like, does not it's not like very welcome to do that necessarily. I always think it's ironic because every year all of these publications are like yes. new recipes for your Thanksgiving. This year we jazzed it up and we right. did this. And I'm always like, I think the thing about Thanksgiving and honestly, even sometimes for food people is that you look forward to this meal every year, this one meal, like this is the day you get your stuffing. This is, right. I don't like turkey, but for people who like to, this is the day you get your turkey. And I do think that there's a fine line between getting creative to, to the point where people are like, but I just wanted my <laughs> sweet potatoes with the burnt marshmallows yes. on top. Like, I think so too. And it's also just to sell, obviously it's to sell magazines and all that of stuff. Of course. But but for your yours is 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 very specific to New York because so many people will buy pies in New York and yes. not make pies. And and the thing is what what I mean what I think you can do is you can always get a classic one and then you can get one that's a little different so everyone's happy. Um so the Libri, I also feel like there were some good ideas happening with that with those pies too. The Libri um, the one that we chose had, and I love this. I love this for pumpkin pie. They did it with a squash. A lot of people will use squash instead of pumpkin in their pies. And some mm -hmm. people think it tastes better. Some people will do a mix of pumpkin and squash. So, and also let's be honest, squash is often easier to work with than pumpkin. If you do want to roast it yourself, mm -hmm. you can get like a, a smaller squash. Um, but anyway, they did a butterscotch squash filling. And then they did a homemade ginger snap crust. Yeah. You do not need to make your own ginger snaps. If you do though, which they did, you can really amp up the ginger flavor. I love that. That sounds delicious. And they're also, they were really good. I think um, something people don't realize you really need to, you need a well-baked crust. When we were tasting the Libri, pies yin actually said this entire section these libri pies like they need their own like stereo surround sound theater <laughs> because they crunched so loudly uh, and it's a and nice contrast so to the creamy filling i like it was that. really nice and their their um apple pie was what they did and it was like one thing that they did really well but they also cook the apples like I like people we noticed when we were doing the tasting that we had some different opinions on how you like your apples in your apple pie mm -hmm. but they did that thing where you could still taste the pieces of apple I don't want to say they were al dente but they weren't mush <laughs> but yeah. they had a little bit of that sort of um 
viscosity and syrup of the interior of a McDonald's fried apple pie, which I love. Yeah. But what they did that was great was that instead of like where Cleo went with a chai blend of spices, they just picked cardamom and they doubled down on cardamom. Mm. And that cardamom with the apple was just beautiful. I love that. I love cardamom. It smells so good. It um, was good. When you do an apple pie, it's interesting because I've seen like people on TV or like on YouTube or whatever, like when they make an apple pie, I learned that if you saute the apples first or cook them first, you'll have a more compact pie or like the top crust will touch the apples as opposed to what I normally do when I make an apple pie, which is just put raw apples in the pie, but then you get this domed top with a huge gap Because of the in steam, it. right? Yeah, the, steam the steam from all the water. Yeah. So do you feel like the one that you had that you like so much, they cooked the apples beforehand? Or I do. do. I had a sense that they're, but they, they didn't cook them so much, but they cooked them enough. I do not believe... Or what they may what what they may have done is they may have made the syrup and then sort of at the very end just kind of warmed those apples in the syrup and then put them in the pie. But I got the sense that that sort of syrupy thing had been made, that like that the cardamom syrup had been made, that the wow. apples had been like cared for, and then they were put into the pie. I really that was a great. Again, it was you know it wasn't necessarily as exciting looking as other ones, but it was yes. just as good as that. I just thought that the butterscotch squash with the ginger snap was just so much more dynamic That's as a, a really combo. Good idea. And but yeah. butterscotch is basically brown sugar with butter, right? I mean, like if you're making it on the stove. So yes. if you wanted to try to introduce that into your pumpkin pie at home, would you just make homemade butterscotch and like stir that into the mix? Or do you, was it like you a layer could, of I mean, you could also, because I feel like for, for people at home where it's like trying to sometimes figure out how to recalibrate a recipe, because that's you're also, when you do that, you're technically adding more liquid into your right. filling. I would almost say make a pumpkin pie and then after it cools, drizzle butterscotch over it. Ooh, that sounds good. And you and you could do it that way. And you would get the butterscotch. And you could also probably add brown sugar to your crust where you would have used white sugar, even if it's the littlest bit. Because the other thing is most of the pies that we love did not have super sweet crust. Got it. They were just really buttery. Now, was but there a pie say, that you tasted yeah. that... Um, that without naming the place, but did, yeah. were there, were there certain combinations that you tried where you thought it actually didn't work? Yeah, it was <laughs> the ones there was one, if I say it, it's too specific. And I think people will be able to figure it out. Nobody listens I, to this podcast. You, you're, no, you're I'll just say, there, was, there was one that we tasted where someone literally said, and we were thinking it at the same time and, and we're both Jewish. It was me and Allie. And I think she said Manischewitz and I said Herosit. And we were like, it's oh, just, it's just like too sweet. Not working. Grapey, a grape pie. It did, I'm not gonna, I'm saying no more because seriously, I would feel so bad. I, I would it. feel okay. terrible. Got and it, it just, it, it just, it really didn't work. But most of the ones that we thought were problematic, it was more when people always say, when you go simple, you really can't screw it up because there's mm -hmm. nothing to hide behind. Yeah. Like there was one that we tried where it had a, a perfectly fine pumpkin filling. It was like an old fashioned sort of pumpkin pie. Um, and the filling was great. And <laughs> the crust was great, but the crust tasted like you were eating a chicken pot pie. 
Mm, and the pumpkin okay. filling tasted like it was for a pumpkin pie. And it just like, they did not work. Got we it. had a few dud apple pies, just like classic, basically apple pies where we were like, how, how, how could this be this, this much of a dud? So we had that. Um, Did you but cleanse then, your palates like between bites? Like, were you like sipping? Like, we got so. This is how you know how pe people do that. Like, how it started, where uh, where yeah. it is now. Yeah. If you had looked at the beginning, so in the beginning, I like I had put plates out and like I was like everyone you know you were and I had done these sections like four different tasting sections of pie and then we had a few things in the fridge. I did four different sections of pies and it would be like put a little bit of each on your plate and I had again my my old days of market editing training I had taken pictures of each pie as mm -hmm. it came in so I could keep track of them so I had a sense of like what was on what was on each plate we were like sitting on my living room floor like eating pie like with my happy dog and <laughs> this was like part one of it and then we get towards the end and we're just like, I literally, I mean, this is terrible, but I was like, you guys, I feel like we're not going to make it. And I feel like let's just reject this whole sort of propriety with the tasting plates and the cutting of the pie. I was like, just take your fork and dig yeah. it into the Yeah, pie. you got to just do so it. We were, when I was saying that we had some really great ones at the end, we, that was like us, like sticking our forks in. And then um, I was going to say the other Libri pie which was great and I think it's just a reminder for people is that they did a chocolate pecan pie mm. um and it had a bourbon in it and I think that combination okay. of chocolate bourbon pecan and it just did it really 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 well um so just want to remind people that you can make your pecan pie chocolate yeah um that's a but really yeah, good idea I think the bear that was, might that have was a recipe. really I, yeah great and that's something that you can go online and you can find recipes for chocolate pecan pie. Actually, Dory Greenspan has a great one. Oh, good. Okay. I actually am craving that right now. I, I kind of want to make, I don't know why, but I'm like craving David Leibovitz's ginger cake. Have you ever made that? It's so good. <laughs> you know, ginger. I just yeah. made, Um, I had, so one of the pies we tested was, I loved this. This was, I would never would have thought of this. I love buttermilk pie, which is mm. such an easy pie to make because it's essentially a pantry pie. Um, and if you have full fat buttermilk, which we can get now in New York City, it used to be hard to find, but now I can find it like pretty easily, which is great. Cool. She had done, and I told her she had misnamed it because she called it a buttermilk apple pie. So we all thought that it was going to be kind of like a buttermilk crust mm -hmm. apple pie. What she did was it was technically a buttermilk pie with a top layer of apples. Mm, and I just uh, thought that was really cool. Cause again, you could do that thing where you kind of pre-cooked the apples, you know, so yeah. you made, if you're doing a cheap version at home, you could make your buttermilk pie. You could pre-cook your apples and then you could just lay them over I the like top like in a pile. Not raw apple, actually cooked apples. That's yeah. Really and I, I really, so it, we had a very interesting conversation because the judges were like, but this is an apple pie. And I was like, right, it's buttermilk pie. And like, the, for some reason, this was like disturbing to them. <laughs> And I was like, I think this is great. Like, I really, really liked it. It's kind it, of like yeah. having an apple custard pie, but the buttermilk picks up on the acidity and the apples. But it sounds like mush on mush. No, because because if you if you treat the apples right, 
they're not going to get overcooked. So you're still going to get like, you want that integrity of the apple. Right. And then you're going to have, you know, when buttermilk pie sets, it's mush, but it's got like a little give. I don't want to say it's like, you know, flan, but it's closer maybe to like a panna cotta. Right. So you have so a little texture. More, more like a cloud. And then you have the little soft, but with a bite apples on top. And she uses einkorn flour in her crust, which also—it's—it's it's one of those ancient. It's an, one right. of the ancient grains, um, and it works really well on pie crust. It gives a kind of a bit of a nutty weediness mm. to it. So I oh. I really liked that pie. So Charlotte, we have about twenty minutes left. So I'm yeah. gonna like steer us now down a different road, um, away from the pie. But did you want to finish? I was going to finish this because I remember why I started telling you about Mel the Bakery because it's another idea based on ginger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But eventually, I want to get to like baking tips for home cooks who are just going to make like normal desserts. So we'll get to okay. that next. Okay. okay. We can actually, this will segue into that because okay, I have great. a suggestion that people may or may not take. Um, She snuck in some cookies with her pies that she sent over. And one of them was like, when you think of a chewy ginger cookie, mm-hmm. you know, those like molasses ginger cookies that people kind of make at this time of year. And they're sort of like gingerbread cookies, but they're just, they're chewy. Yeah. And she did that, but she did it with candied ginger in it, which mm. is so delicious. And if you can't buy, like, if you can't make your own candied ginger, you could get crystallized yeah. ginger. Um and that would work too, but I have to say the texture of candied ginger is actually a bit softer. It's a bit chewier. It's less hard. Um, mm-hmm. But she had done that. And then this is what blew my mind. She had taken pine nuts and put pine nuts around the edges and on the tops of those cookies. Mm-hmm. And the two things that struck me were just that how pronounced the ginger was and then the pine nut. I really love, and this is where I'm going with this. I love the combination of chocolate and ginger. I just think it's one of the most sophisticated, beautiful combinations. Mm-hmm. And there is a chocolate company in New York City called Lila Chocolates, which you probably remember. It's like really old fashioned and lovely. And they make dark chocolate covered ginger, mm-hmm. candied ginger. And I love it. And when I tasted that cookie, I thought, I want to make super decadent brownies where they're ginger brownies and I want to use molasses in them to like riff on that cookie. And I'm going to get the Lila chocolate, dark chocolate covered ginger, and I'm going to chop it up and put it in the brownie. And I'm going to sprinkle pine nuts on top. I'm telling you, they're delicious. And even if you didn't want to like go through all the tweaking of like figuring out how to add molasses to your brownies, you too could chop up some, you know, candied or just crystallized ginger, some dark chocolate. You can like totally make this up yourself without having to go the extra mile. You add some spices to your brownie mix. Definitely ginger. What about um, orange zest in there? You could totally do orange zest in there. It would be beautiful. And I, I am the person who for Passover suggested that we just have a huge chocolate mousse on the table, a huge bowl of chocolate mousse and a huge bowl of whipped cream and pass it around. (laughs) So I'm also someone who thinks if you want to make the most fantastic brownies and then have 
ice cream at, oh. on the table and just basically have brownies a la mode with like chocolate sauce or butterscotch sauce. And you want to do it where it's ginger spice. So like you're still feeling a little bit festive. This feels Christmassy. I feel like for Christmas, people could do It that. could be Christmas, but I feel also like that sort of like ginger, all those warm yeah. spices are technically what are in the pumpkin spice mix. You're a brownie like guru maverick. Like you know this. We've discussed this. If you follow Charlotte on Instagram, you'll see some of her creations and they're wild. Okay, but now we have about like a little time left. So okay, we're gonna now like pivot to people at home who like are gonna make Thanksgiving desserts. Like they're like they're hard. These are people who like work nine to twelve, you know, nine to six jobs. They're exhausted. So like what are what like what two whether they're pies or maybe something else, like what are the two essential Thanksgiving desserts that you think every Thanksgiving table should have on them? Okay. I'm not a traditionalist. So when I say this, you have to, you have to know that. Um, I also, I just want to say, I think it's okay to buy. I think you have to know your strengths, especially when you're short on time. Mm -hmm. And if you are not a baker and the sort of, you know, People have such expectations for pies on that yeah. holiday. And if that's going to stress you out, buy a pie. Yeah, like it's okay. You know, know. Take when, the- I, uh, when I cook for my family, this is such a like uh, intense family story, but I made, I had, we had 16 people coming for dinner and I made 16 individual pumpkin mousse parfaits for each individual person. Oh my from God. Verifa Contessa. So like, I was so proud of myself. They, they were like in champagne flutes or like, you know, plastic ones, but whatever. And they had like, they did have candied ginger and they whipped cream. And they made them I think it's before. a great idea. Like I would love that. But my mom at the last minute, right before Thanksgiving started, said, by the way, my friend Debbie and her daughters are also coming for dessert. And I was like, I, this is like when I was like a perfectionist, like, like everything had to be perfect. And I was like, but I only have 16 and there are 16 people coming. And if, if Debbie comes and somebody's just like, well, I won't have one. And your grandmother doesn't have to have one. And it was, became this like huge epic fight. And I got very traumatized by that. So that's why I don't like Thanksgiving anymore. Anyway. Okay. So we always, <laughs> were you saying buy a pie, buy a pie. I'm yeah. saying that if, if that's something that stresses you out and you have limited time, don't, don't spend the limited time you have on the thing yeah. that is like your personal Everest. I think you're stalling for time. I think you No, I'm not. Ask- I'm not. I'm not. I just wanted to say that because I'm going to suggest things that aren't necessarily traditional. Uh, so I wanted okay. to throw that out there. I'm just, I'm not poo-pooing pie. It's just that I feel like there's so much out there about pie that you don't. Oh, so you're not going to suggest pie. No, I'm going to say, because I'm thinking about people and time crunch and comfort. I actually love the idea of doing uh, tea cakes, loaf cakes, because you okay. can freeze them in advance yes. and you can warm them up and serve them with ice cream or whipped cream. Ooh, like a um, pumpkin and you, tea cake or something. You can do a pumpkin tea cake. You can do kind of actually like the idea of the David Leibovitz ginger cake, uh-huh. like a kind of a gingerbread take on a cake. You can also do people do apple loaf cakes as well. So you can play with that idea of having pumpkin and having apple without necessarily going through the production of a pie. Mm -hmm. And it's something you can make in advance and freeze. And then, then you think of like, remember how people always used to talk about how they would keep 
a frozen Sara Lee pound cake in the fridge yeah. and then they would warm it up and slice it and serve it with hot fudge sauce and ice cream. That feels very Nora <laughs> Ephron, like very yes, like, 70s there's, New York. Yeah, There's no reason that you can't do that. And maybe you make an, a, you know, a butterscotch ginger sauce or mm -hmm. something and you put that over it. I think um, Daniela Galarza just did a wonderful piece for the Washington Post where she talks about sauces and how if you have a few good sauces, you can kind of create multiple desserts out of fewer desserts. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, so I would say do something like that because you even, I mean, you can even go out and freaking buy butterscotch sauce and infuse it with some ginger, warm it up, pour it over. I mean, I like the so, loaf cake idea too, because there's something very cozy about the look of a loaf cake too, for some reason. Yeah. It just looks and very homey. It can present abundance when you have like three of them and the amount of time it would take to make three loaf cakes as opposed to three pies. Yeah. Um, I also, I, I will say for pies, I like the idea of, of no bake pies. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's okay too. You can do like, even I'm a huge fan of the ice cream pie. Oh, that's a good idea. Love the ice cream pie. You can do a press and cookie crust. I'm going to mention again, the ginger snap crust because it's festive. And then you can do like a salted caramel ice cream. And then maybe you can have some fun on top with like some candied um, pumpkin seeds. You know, like Ooh, you can have really fun with idea. that okay. without doing a ton of work and still get those flavors that you want yeah. in there. Um, so that is also something that I would do. And again, like I'm a person, you know, no one, people are going to be like, why Charlotte? Why? I freaking love a really good creamy rice pudding. I like I rice pudding too. <laughs> he hates rice pudding. He hates the texture, but I, I really it. like it. I yeah. love it. You could give me a big bowl of rice pudding. You could give me, let me say also again, me and butterscotch for, for this holiday, butterscotch pudding. And if you do not want to do it in individual ramekins, do the thing where you have a huge bowl of really good butterscotch pudding. In fact, by Cleo, that baker did a cookbook on pudding years ago, coincidentally called Puddin, little apostrophe after <laughs> okay. the end. She makes one of the best butterscotch puddings I've ever had. That recipe is in her book. It is not very hard. And you know, what's an alternative to like ramekins or a big bowl is coffee mugs, which I think is very cute. I used to do that yep. at dinner parties, like chocolate pudding in a coffee mug with a little, little whipped cream. I have discovered that if I serve pudding, I really like to put whipped cream on top because I think yes. it helps cut the like sweetness and the texture. I even like creme fraiche. Ooh, that's a good I idea. Because I like that sort of like say a little savory sour Thing yeah, happening. that's a good idea. Or, or yeah. fold in creme fraiche into whipped cream a little. Yes, too. which Nancy Silverton does. If anyone wants to know how to make super creamy whipped cream, Food 52 genius recipe, Nancy Silverton's whipped cream, which has Ooh. creme fraiche in it. That sounds great. So if you were tasked with making a pumpkin pie, let's just say, yeah. um, do you have like a go-to technique for crust making? I mean, are you a pie maker or do you mostly make brownies? I'm like you, I can make a crust, but I'm not confident in it because I feel like my, especially my rolling and maneuvering it into the pan, 
I know people make that look really yeah. easy on Instagram. Look, but parents like, make pie all the time and they think I'm like crazy because like I'm always talking about like what a what a like how hard it is and they just like roll it out and it looks beautiful and they, but yeah. what will happen to me is I'm I'm always open to trying a new dough recipe especially okay. when I'm told like it's really good it's and that it is also easy to work with mm-hmm. and I think the first one where I had a feeling of like boosted confidence and I've made that crust a lot is actually Stella Parks's mm-hmm. um pie which she did it was like a pretty basic butter crust recipe that I think she did for serious eats years ago. And it's probably in her cookbook too, but I love that. But I will say, um, I did a story last year at around Thanksgiving on making buttermilk pie, which I love, but I asked pastry chefs who don't normally make that to put their spin on it and do like get creative with buttermilk pie. And I loved Roxana Julepat's recipe for crust. Her dough was perfect. And she tweaked it slightly for the story. I'm trying to remember what flour she used in it. But the point was the way she wrote out the technique. And she was so good because she was like, if you have a food processor, if you have a stand mixer, which is what I use, if you or if you're doing it by hand, she gave directions. Really? For How do we find that. this article? What do we Google? It's it's if you look up, it's annoying because it's the Wall Street Journal and I think it's embargoed. Like it's one yeah. of those annoying things where you have to have access. But if you were to look up Wall Street Journal buttermilk pie. But honestly, okay. if you got her cookbook, Mother Grains, oh, okay. I would now trust any. That was so last year I decided to make for Thanksgiving for myself, my own pie. Yes. <laughs> Inspired by that story. I I did sort of a Dr. Frankenstein thing where I pulled things from each of the, the pies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I decided I wanted a chocolate chess pie. Um, and chocolate buttermilk, sorry, one of the, one of the contributors, a woman named Talia Ho, who did a really great cookbook last year called Sweet Bitter that I love. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Is that the name of a show? That's a TV show, right? Maybe, is it not sweet? It's, it could be sweet bitterness, but it's something very like that. And it's her, it's so good. Her name is T-H-A-L-I-A and then H-O is her last name. So if I'm getting the name of the cookbook wrong, look look her Google up. Her. Okay. But she had done her version of a buttermilk pie, which because she's based in Australia was more based on a British custard pie. So mm-hmm. it had like heavy cream. It was really rich. And she had infused it with black cardamom. And just that use of black cardamom had changed the entire pie. And I loved it. So I wanted to do the chocolate version of that. But I remember I took, I literally did the mother grains julep hot crust. And then I did Camilla Wynn had done a buttermilk pie. And she had taught me that using rye whiskey in your pies and your buttermilk pies is a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, So I used that in my chocolate base. So I pulled from each of them. Ah. And then I actually used Cheryl Day's chocolate buttermilk pie 
filling played with a great new book too um she came on the podcast to talk about it but it's american treasury right uh yeah southern is it southern yeah southern baking treasury it's something it's something like that Yeah, and that probably has a lot of really good pies in it for things so good and a lot of really good like classics with small twists so i love her book well i was gonna say about pie like crust you know i had kate mcdermott on the podcast and she said something to me that I didn't like fully take in, but now I'm like really thinking about it when I make pies that the, the, um, when you add the water to like the mixture with the butter and stuff that it should be like wet, wet sand, I think is what she said, or like wet clay. And I don't think I ever added enough water in the past. Cause I think I was afraid of adding too much water. Me which too. Help. Yeah. But, but I that also really think- helps. So get it to that texture. What scares me about that is that you're also, you know, you're supposed to let your, let it rest and and let it chill. And you know, cause it's the same with when you make, I, I, I like to make scones and I chill, you know, I chill my scones, but there's that period where the liquid's still being absorbed. So Mm -hmm. you may think you don't have enough and then you find it was perfect. So it's like, it's kind of that thing where, again, I'm going to use a brownie comparison you're making brownies and you want to take them out where they're almost just a bit underdone because you want them to stay gooey, but you also want them to set. And I feel like that, that sort of, it becomes instinct if you do it enough, but that knowing when to take them out to me, that's the same instinct that you need to have about how much liquid to add. But I will say like in in my past, I, I, I worried about that the way that you do, but now that I've done it both ways where like I didn't add enough water or I added too much, I think it's way better to add too much because it's at least Me it's too. easier to roll out. And then totally. it's like, and if the crust is a little not as flaky as it, as it might've been, like I'd much rather have a pretty I agree. finished pie. Yeah. And if I'm worried, I'll do it where I'm folding the, fold it over a bit and roll it out almost. So it's like a little, like a little laminated. Oh, you know what I mean? Idea. With, like yeah. just if, if I'm like, oh no, I'll kind of like, that's try a good, to good trick because I've I would never think about that because that's what you do with biscuits right like you can yeah. fold over the dough you don't have to do it too many times because obviously you're not looking for like a super you know but like if you just do it a little bit especially in a case where you're worried that it might be a little tough it yeah. kind of like kind kind of I do it sometimes anyway that's just smart. like one or two folds and then roll it you know well, we are at the very end. And I think as a bonus, I just have to ask you because this has come up now a couple of times. Um, what are your like like top brownie tricks? Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> I went through, okay. I feel like we go through phases, but when I was coming of age as a, <laughs> as a baker person okay. in my kitchen, it was very much always that you were supposed to make the brownies that were the chewy brownies where you're using chopped chocolate and melting it mm-hmm. with your butter, using that in your brownies. And then there was always the fudgy brownie that was made with cocoa powder instead of the melted actual pieces of chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like that was always treated like the lesser one. And I decided to go back and revisit the cocoa brownies I had when I did my first cookbook, my skillet cookbook, I actually did one of each because mm-hmm. I, I I do believe you should like know how to do both. 
but I started really delving into the cocoa powder situation. And what I would do is, and I advocate this in any brownies you make, I like to add additional chocolate chunks to the batter after it is all made. So you fold in chocolate chunks. So you get the best of everything. You get the cocoa. And that is what I did. That is what I started doing, which is I started making cocoa based brownies for the fudginess, but then I still wanted that melty kind of just whole chocolate in there. Um, And then recently I was like, let me go back now to the chocolate chunk method where I'm melting the the chunks with the butter just to see, because I've been in this phase where I'm only doing cocoa powder and I'm convinced it's like so great. Now I want to go back. What I did, again, best of both worlds. I did that technique with cocoa powder added and maybe a little cocoa powder extra than you mm-hmm. might normally add. So I replaced some of my flour with cocoa powder. Oh, that's really smart. Okay. I get that. So that it's it. again, you're, and, and then I added chocolate chunks because I'm a heathen, but like you, you know, you wouldn't, you don't have to do that, but it's funny. Cause I have a flourless chocolate cake recipe that I make that is basically melted chocolate and butter that you add cocoa powder to. So I wonder if it's just a yeah. difference in how many eggs go in it, like in yeah. terms of what makes it a cake versus a brownie. Um, but, oh, I was going to say Alice. Marriage and also says, maybe if yeah. you're using a leavener too, it can oh, be right. eggs, but they also, you're going to have a little, yeah. A little fluff. Well, Alice Med- Medrick, how do you say her name? Med- Medrich? You know who I'm Is it Medrich about? or Medrick? I don't know. Well, she's amazing. I love her book, but her cocoa brownie recipe is my go-to brownie recipe. And in yes. that one, you you bloom the cocoa in butter over a double boiler and it kind of brings it to life a little bit. But as a final question, what brand of cocoa powder do you use? So I, okay. I feel like there are a lot of companies that have really lately done great things in terms of sourcing better chocolate. And I say better because I mean that just in terms of like the farms, how everyone's being treated, the fact that it's organic, this, you know, the fact that it's small scale farming, all of that stuff. And I will go and get their cocoa powder and try it. And I really like it. Like uh, Diaspora's cocoa powder is beautiful. I also really like Raka, which does vegan chocolate. I, I really, but that said, I still believe just in terms of flavor and quality, and it bugs me that I'm saying this, but I still believe Valrona cocoa powder is like the gold, gold standard because it's expensive and it's, but I actually think just in terms of flavor, you know, people also really like the King Arthur ones because they do that black cocoa too. Uh So if you want to get that sort of Oreo cookie kind of cocoa effect, King Arthur's good, but I, I am still a Valrona girl. Like I have to admit this. What about her? I mean, I just saw Jesse Sheehan just did a, a video on TikTok or Instagram where she like compared Hershey's dark chocolate cocoa powder to the expensive stuff. And she said for her money, the Hershey's dark was just as good. Do you? I do think you it just... depends on the kind of flavor you're going for. If right. you're going for that more sort of like old fashioned American flavor. Yeah. I think Hershey's is always going to give you that effect. Right. But I think if you're like me and you're a really love, I really love dark chocolate. Like for me, the darker, the better. I think that's probably why I really like the Valrona. I think if you are someone who likes a dark, deep chocolate, it might be worth getting the European 
Yeah, I've gotten Valrona before, and I I would say like almost tastes like deeper, like it. It's almost like really good coffee versus just like Starbucks coffee or something. Yeah, that's to me. But again, if you're going for that flavor of that sort of like, I think of like old fashioned American chocolate pudding. Right. Like I could totally see. I feel like Hershey's cocoa powder. Not that you're making your your pudding with cocoa powder, but I just mean that that flavor profile. Or like the Toll House chocolate chip cookie, like that flavor profile is what is where you're going with Hershey. So if you're going for that kind of like nostalgic comfort, yeah, like probably cupcakes or like a chocolate birthday cake. But if you're like someone who just really, really loves dark chocolate, the darker, the better, then it, you might want to spend your money on the, yeah, same oh, even in no. the diaspora on the Rocka too, tend to be in that darker, that darker camp. Well, Charlotte, this was a delight, and I hope that you will come back on to talk more about brownies and cakes. I will talk about anything. Um, I'm going to a play tonight, just FYI. I feel like <laughs> what I do you see? To... I now, you know, what? I'm going to forget the name of it. Please hold so I can look. But just up tell and... me, tell me about it. I'll tell you what it is. It's a like... one woman show at the Signature Theater that my mom saw. Uh, and was actually like, you really, really need to see this. Please, I'm going to find it. Just hold on one second. Yeah. Um, it's called My Broken Language. Actually, I don't know that one. And she said it's yeah, it's this one woman show, and it's sort of like a combination of narrative. It works in poetry and music. Wow. Which is I'm not always into that, but she was like, I really think you're gonna love it. And I also saw last week, which I feel like everyone should see, even if you saw it the first time, uh, Top Dog Underdog. Oh, I really want to see that. I oh read it in school, God. but I've never seen it before. So it's, yeah. it, I didn't see the original one at the public, but I'm told that this one is just as good. And because the actors are so different, yeah, it, it's, you know, it doesn't feel like the same play. In fact, I talked to two people who, after seeing this one, were like, I don't even remember the first one. I just remember it being great. Oh, cool. So, okay. I'll have to come back then and see it. You just gave me an excuse. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy your play tonight and have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. you too. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy yeah. pie or not pie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever's on the buffet is what we'll eat. So, all Love right. Me. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you haven't already, you want to get a copy of my new cookbook, Give My Swiss Arts to Broadway. It's the Broadway Lover's Cookbook. It's great for a gift. Get it for your family, for your friends, anyone who loves show tunes and cooking. All right. I'll see you back here soon. Take care.